Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. Well, today's show is going to be a little bit different. In fact, this is going to pique your curiosity and may expand your already known interest into something that you may have heard about or have been exposed to. Many people are familiar with a show called Ancient Aliens. In fact, a lot of people are interested in things that are a little bit mystical or sometimes unknown. We want to know about things. And with me today, my guest has had a lifelong attraction to stories, mystical matters, and a lot of ancient artifacts. And what he's going to share with us today, I'm going to let him tell you what it is, but I'm going to tell you a little bit more before I introduce you. These things are carved figurines that um, sort of have some very defined properties to them with a long story behind them. And the guest I have with me today has been researching and has acquired some of these things over a long period of time and is very very knowledgeable and his expertise is in these. In fact, you may know him and you may know him by Nomali Bin. And without me telling any more, even though I know a lot more, I'm going to bring him on so that we can talk about, well, talk about it. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you, Rebecca, for having me and the Stones. Okay, so... I was so excited to have you because everybody knows you by Nomali Ben, but let's tell them your real name and a little bit more about you and why they call you Nomali Ben. My, my name is Ben Vanderheide. I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, L-A-P-A, and uh, they call me Nomali Ben because I collect Nomali. Uh, I have put the word out on them, and I have a collection, and, and I have done a fair amount of research with my son, Quinn, and rediscovered a great deal about Nomali. And as you said in the beginning, I, I think we can guarantee that your listeners and viewers will hear things and see things today that they've never seen or heard before. And it's not accidental. Even people who are far ahead of the of the uh, in the field of uh, paranormal research, uh, mystical, mysterious, and exciting subjects like this are unaware of Nomali stones, and that's what they're called Nomali, and they are carved figurines. They come from three countries only in the world: Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea. And uh, again, it's exciting because we're going to not only introduce your, your audience to the stones themselves, but to the deities which they represent and the connection that that has, uh, the, has been revealed to other ancient civilizations and uh, theories. See, this is exciting because oftentimes we're, I can tell you, I was not a person who was interested in history in high school. In fact, I was kind of trying to be avoidant. And then a little bit later in life, I started becoming more interested. And as I got older, I became even more interested. And then as different shows came on, I was drawn to learning more about different things, including things in my own world, you know, what made me who I am. And all of this comes together. These different civilizations really make up the world that we live in now because, I mean, they're, they're just carried on from generation to generation. And sometimes some of the civilization, civilizations even die out and yet they, we find them and find a lot of parallels to different things that we have going on in the world today. But what you have discovered with Nomali is quite interesting. And 
it's very interesting how you came about this. Yes, yes. Well, I want to I want to uh, further along what you said is interesting is that so often we we are all captivated and watch more and more experts talk about the known quantities, the Stonehenges and the Egyptian pyramids and very seldom in my experience lately have you seen something really new and revolutionary that has not been talked about and shown over and over again but not only does this uh, do we have knowledge and, and uh, revelation of, of uh, previously discovered facts but we have physical artifacts which is something very many theoretics do not contain there are a lot of of theories floating around out there that have no substance. But here we actually have the carved stones, which somehow in today's world where crystals and artifacts from all over the world have become very popular, have been promoted and been sought after and utilized for healing purposes, yes. for meditation and, and etc. These have become have remained completely unknown. And that's not accidental. They're as purposefully they have been suppressed and oppressed. And I'll get into more as far as how unknown and known they are. But you asked the question how I came across the stones. I long ago there was a gentleman who came into uh, my my business, maybe the place of business, and attempted to recruit me into the intelligence community for the United States. Specifically, he was involved in West Africa, and he was a diamond smuggler. The closest oh, wow. thing you would think of would be he was very much the real life character that Leonardo DiCaprio played in the movie Blood Diamonds. It was in that same area. He was a real character and I never uh, uh, accepted any of the uh, invitations to work in that community. It just wasn't my calling. Mm -hmm. But he was an interesting character. He was that guy who, when he found out long ago that the best diamonds in the world were in Sierra Leone. He caught himself a plane, got over there, caught another small plane, got out and dropped himself in the jungle with the guide and came out along months later with a pack of diamonds and a lot of friends when most people would have never made it out the other side. Uh -huh. But unlike, I mean, to be realistic, and I, I do shout out to, for his spirit. He's been long off planet, but I shout out, give a shout out to him. Of course, the reality of it is to, to be straight up is that he was not at all arrogant or going into the bush with guns pushing people around or killing people the only way you make it in a place like that is with a big open heart and um and a, a charismatic personality mm -hmm. and that's what he had going for him and, and over the years he developed then the contacts which inevitably became very instrumental in the intelligence community but he was in the bush in places where others were not. Uh, while I was not interested so much in diamonds, uh, was no, also not my calling, or in getting involved with uh, espionage or those type of skullduggery. Um, I was interested in artifacts and in the spiritual matters. So I took an attraction to the stones, which were given to him oftentimes by the chiefs, the medicine women, the medicine men, as protectors and as uh, tokens of their support so that he could get out of the very dangerous bush because it was their best interest also. And uh, they liked him. And I will say this too, and end on the bill matter, the, what needs to be said is that while he came into the bush for the diamonds and for greed, after many, many years, and he would go in there sometimes for six months and it would be two years to come out. Uh, years into it, he would call me, and what he uh, captured his heart were, were the people. And the children would come running when he'd go into a village. And uh, so, in the end, that's what uh, where he where his heart was, and uh, even greater than his greed. That is really interesting. And so, here you have these figurines. Now, how many are there? There are uh, an unknown, but there are quite a few nomoli. And I guess it's a good time to talk about unknown and known. When we took, finally, after years of owning them, I, get, I stepped out and tried to identify others who owned them. Natural thing you would do. 
And yeah. I came to find that very few people owned them. In fact, almost no one knew of them. I was able to hook up with uh, Professor Kwaku Afoyanza, who is a foremost expert, world expert. He was the art professor at Howard University for 37 years, retired, and the curator of the Epic and Art Museum of Maryland. And he was uh, amazed and astounded that we had such a collection and asked us to, and we did then exhibit them for a couple year period of time at the museum, uh, recognizing how unusual it was and wanting people to be able to appreciate them. What kind of uh, response did you get there? The response to the museum was phenomenal. In fact, there's a video on our website, ancientalienstones.com, which has the professor and the curator talking about the response, much greater than they anticipated. And it was the first time in their history that you had a focus, a stone focused exhibit. And they kept them in there a lot longer than they anticipated. And we had a number of events. I got to speak at the museum a number of times. It was it's quite thrilling. And, and uh, again, interesting because I'm not anyone who would, I would have thought myself would have rare relics that other people didn't possess. So the professor asked us to work with him on a book. And because there is no book. Uh-huh. So we began to, uh, to reach out, and, and my son reached out over a period of a year and a half in front of literally millions of eyes through the social media and the ways that they do it nowadays, and, and asked for anyone who had any information or experience with Nomali, because they are utilized by the shamans, and they are used for healing and fertility and other purposes. So we wanted to know if anybody had experience with them, and we found over a period of a year and a half we went focused with groups that are into healing stones, groups that are into ancient civilizations, ancient alien theories, those who are into alternative forms of healing. And we found without exception that not one person had ever heard of Mamali stones. It was astounding. I was amazed. Um, we went to the show, went to the New York, uh, outside of New York, the Gem Show, and set up at a booth in, for days. People walked by and no one had ever heard of Mamali stones. They That's knew really all these interesting. What's that? Very interesting. Yes. So we went to MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, international show set up a booth. And we're thinking, okay, these are the people that have been studying aliens since long before I paid any attention. These are the world's foremost experts. Certainly they're going to know of Mamali, and I'll tell you why, because they are gods. We'll get into that that came from the skies. So they fit in that genre. And we went to the show and lo and behold, not one person at the show over the days we were there had ever seen or heard of Nomali, including Bill Burns, who was the keynote speaker and um, started the UFO Hunters TV show long ago. Had okay. never seen Nomali Stone. So we were also moved by the fact that people were coming and they were coming to tears. There was a healing at the show. Uh, a gentleman who was asked if he could have a healing with two women who were his shamans. And they sat with a stone and had a, some type of an amazing shift in the way his consciousness and his movement and everything, you could almost feel it. Another woman came in crying, thanking us for bringing these stones. And others would read the stones, what I call stone whisperers. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. They're completely unknown. So, <laughs> You know, all your listeners know that it's because Rebecca is somehow tuned in that she got in touch with these stones and responded to them and is, resonates with them that you're going to experience them for the first time today. But we did find that they are known. In fact, since the 1400s, Portuguese sailors discovered them when they sailed into West Africa. First written about in 1855, Thompson on Africa, New York. Written about in the 1890s, written about in 18. 17 by Walter uh, Thompson, uh, excuse me, Walter, uh, Walter Edwin, yeah, thank you. My, my memory's over there behind the screen. <laughs> and he had some interesting things that he wrote about him. And then you move forward to the 1950s. And uh, of course, I'm sure most of your uh, people will know Thor Heyerdahl from the Contiki. Thor Heyerdahl, who sailed the Contiki, or drifted 5,000 miles to prove that the Peruvians were likely the ones who first discovered Polynesia. More to the point, he was proving that the ancients viewed the waters as thoroughfare, not as an obstacle. Uh, but if you're not familiar with it, it's a great documentary. 
is a movie that was made, and it's just an amazing story. But Thor, Heyer, Thor Heyerdahl also led the first expedition to Easter Island in 1955. And he connected, he found stones in caves. Very few of your listeners will, or viewers will have heard of these too. We all know the giant stones on Easter Island. But there were very few small stones found in secret caves. You follow familiar with those. And he commented in his writings that the Nomali of West Africa were the closest in style and functionality, and the fact that some of them had holes in their heads, which was a common uh, denominator between the two. We move forward till the late eight, uh, 1900s, a couple more small articles. 1990, we get the uh, only that I've seen television coverage on unexplained mysteries, and they covered the pieces of it there. Okay. But up until after that, nothing. Nothing. So why does that happen? Well, they come from West Africa, and long for a long time, as we know, things which are spiritual from West Africa and are ancient have been demonized straight up demonized, and there is a uh, hesitation to recognize the value and the godliness of some things which come from Africa overall. But more to the point, these come from an area where the heavy world religions, particularly the more radical, and not the ones that are accepting of, of, uh, of, of the spiritual beliefs, but the more radical, particularly Muslimization, and with that comes persecution and destruction of the beliefs and the stones, and anyone who would be practicing with the stones. Now that goes, that's ubiquitous in a country like that. It's not just with the religion, it's gonna be throughout the, the politics, throughout the uh, academia. If you wanna succeed, your best bet is to be Muslim. In fact, many of my friends are Muslim, over there, my connections. My friend Bill Diamonds, when he was in West Africa, he was Muslim. When he was in America, he was Christian. But, and uh, okay, so okay. this has caused a great uh, uh, oppression and suppression. They also were buried in the ground, and there's no written history of them. So they, they are known, but continue to be unknown. And uh, the British royalties collected them for long. In 1917... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, then there's one in the Bronx Museum, or in the British Museum. I think there's one still in the Minneapolis Museum. The, um, in 1917, one of the interesting things that Edwin, that um, Walter Edwin wrote about was the fact that there was a contention they were already faking them and bringing them out of the Orient and bringing them through Africa See, to capitalize on how popular they were. So it's, there's many fakes, but most people don't even know they exist. Apparently, it's an anomaly. If you're I was just going to go there. I was. It's so funny that you bring that up because I was going to mention that we had discussed that off air. And what about the things, the, you know, the, the fakes. So um, it's really interesting. Where are the fakes popping up at? I mean, if people were saying, I mean, what kind of stores are they, are they popping up in metaphysical stores or what's, what's happening? I, I don't think you'll see them anywhere except online. Okay. Okay. For sale, but they're they're really not popping up, up very often. I, I think you'll see them in in some s stores, but there's such a lack of a knowledge of them that there's no uh, there's no market for them. That's right. The really but on the other hand, there are real ones out there floating around that would have been brought over by natives or by many in the military, British military, etc. And so your listeners or viewers may have one in their collection. They don't even know what it is. They could be authentic. Now, if, if someone did, okay, so you, you have some of the stones with you that you can show our audience today. And let's say someone says, I have that. Where can they go to authenticate that stone? That's a very good question, and I don't have an easy answer for that. Uh, Professor Kwakua Foyanza was the foremost expert, or is the foremost expert in America. Unfortunately, recently, uh, he has been in a, he's, he's elderly, and he has been in a, a bad car accident and then some subsequent health issues, so I don't think he's very responsive right now. I don't know of anybody else 
right offhand um, to authenticate them. And you pieces in this because you've been doing this for many years. Yes, yeah. it's been a good five years since we came out and tried to, or six years, I don't know, the time slips on, since I came out and, and came out to the public, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, and uh, I was unable to find anybody else. I'm sure there's someone out there. You may have to go to Africa to find someone. Okay, that I mean, makes the, a lot of uh, sense. The now. best, and, and not all the ones that, of course, many fakes come from Africa. They, when they were popular, they began to fabricate uh, duplicates, replicas, if you will. But I, I think the, by far the best um, is to know where they came from and be, that they were connected directly to the chiefs and to the shamans and to the medicine women. If you were to be able to acquire them from those people who were using them and have been using them for a long time, that certainly is going to be a factor. I, I would say this. We should probably talk about the gods, the Nomali gods, because okay. I'm going to get to the point that the natives would say that these were not made by humans. So the Nomali gods were said to be gods who lived long ago. The stones have been dated as old as perhaps 17,000 years old. Some stone whispers that I've handed them to date them a lot older than that. The Nomali were gods who lived in the heavens and they misbehaved. And as a result of their misbehavior, they were forced to live amongst the humans. They were considered gods in stone. And you would think about that the way if Iron Man came down today, or back then, he, was, he would have been a god of stone. Not that they were stone statues, they moved, but they were made of material that was as hard as stone from, okay. uh, from the from native they were large. They had protruding eyes, eyes you couldn't look into because they were as bright as the sun. And when they spoke, their voice was so pronounced that it could be heard in villages far away. Okay. They blessed people with uh, many blessings. They taught them better ways to live what is important and led them down a better spiritual path. And the natives believed that they gave these stones, the original Nomali stones, were created by the gods and handed to their ancestors to utilize and to continue the blessings that were gifted. Okay, so each stone has properties that heal or um, provide some kind of a blessing. Yeah, there are many different variations. There are some consistent, some constant ones. And I, I myself have kind of refined into categories because okay. I, I don't okay. know of any others who have. And I start on the far side with the ones which look like the Nomali gods. And uh, let me just grab one of those. Okay, so I definitely am going to put my glasses on here so that I can get a very close look at this. This is the one you saw on the Ancient Aliens television show, of course. And this one we'll talk about later also. But you'll see that he has a uh, short uh, legs that are squatted. He has large eyes, uh, lips, and large nose and flame nose. And this particular one is a Mahanyadi. This would be a chief stone. So, uh, but anyways, this, this stone represents essentially a a Nomali figure. It is not humanistic in its characteristics. It's Nomali, it's squat, squatty legs, and the other features. On the other end of the spectrum would be Nomali that are uh, humanistic in form. That okay. Almost exclusively humanistic. In the middle would be ones like this again, which he qualifies as, which are combined. They have qualities of the Nomali, which is the crocodile energy, into sometimes a humanistic, more humanistic figure, and that would be a combination of the gods' powers and blessings infused into a human. Okay, so if you hold it up again, the Nomali, okay, so this is the chief, and um, while the chief doesn't have sort of, um, as you said, humanistic representation features that's they're kind of miniature 
the way that it's shaped first reminded me of embryo. It seemed embryotic, like so. That's a sort of almost life, the beginning of life. That is sort of like the teeth life, and then I don't know what you know what the rest of them look like, but sort of developing after. Um, it's very interesting that you mentioned this. So each one sort of has a job then. Yeah. Now this one, fly. this one again has no features there are some which have more humanistic facial features but still have some of the normality some normality yes there are primarily of course you would always have your fertility um, okay. stones which would be a woman with a child on back a pregnant woman with a child on back is, is very prominent there's male fertility stones then there are those that are for a chief which would carry all the attributes you would want a chief to have not unlike many cultures in history, the natives would believe that the chief was connected to the Nomali gods, if mm -hmm. he's a chief. If he's connected to the Nomali gods, then they're going to have good fortune and prosperity and health. And if he's not, then not so much. So they would look for the chief to be infused with the qualities of bravery, of uh, fairness, of justice, of love, of nurturing, of of being able to protect all these things they would want the, the nomali gods to infuse into their chief and there would be a stone that would be the chief's stone of the mahanyadi there's a specific uh, name of the nomali which qualify under that category but there are also on the other end as i said there are some which are like for instance we have one which is a woman with a child nurturing and feeding the child those are intended just to, to be protectors for children and for mothers, but also to help the society remember the importance of nurturing mothers and children as a society, as a culture. The, um, okay. uh, you know, the, I'm sorry. No, that, I'm just fascinated by this. And so does just... And then many others. There are many other variations. There's one other group which is very interesting. And that is the ones which we only have a few of, which have the elongated heads. And uh, this one is a little bit of elongated head, you can see. Oh, I see it. And a little bit of a, almost a helmet. Now this is a better example here. Uh, this guy almost looks like he has a helmet on, if you look. Oh, how interesting. So there are some which conform to the those that people ascribe to ancient alien yes. uh, kind of, uh, influence in different parts of the world. And okay. so, yes, very many variations. So these um, essential properties that they um, give, for the person that has one of the stones, do they have to touch it to be able to... Uh, see or reap the benefits from this or is it something that just by having it with within their house or the certain radius I mean how do they these stones actually their their attributes work well I could attest to what I've witnessed but I would not presume to limit what others could experience by qualifying it or saying it has to be within a certain proximity they have to touch them uh -huh. you know I don't know what I've seen personally though is that people who have acquired the stones and have uh, some who have just don't touch them have had very profound impact um, as you may have watched on our website Jeff the shaman in Florida has been he's the first one a shaman in American uh, shaman currently operating in Bradenton Florida a real neat guy and he's been using one for about a year and a half and had some amazing results in, uh, in his healing. Others have had, again, profound results. I have, what I've seen is some people, when they touch a stone, they'll almost look like they get shocked, and their head will go back. Oh, interesting. They'll start to talk, and they'll say that they're experiencing this, and it'll go back in time. So I would say that the most dramatic results have certainly been when people have put their hands on them and touched them. Recently, we did what I, as far as I know, is the first ever meditation with the New Hope 
metaphysical society and 22 or so random people showed up. I spoke on the Nomali and then we broke into groups and did meditations and then we did a, a circle and put one stone in the middle, turned off the lights except for black light. And it was quite an interesting, amazing experience. It was, uh, we just let it go and people, there was oming, there was singing, there was chanting, there was laughing at one time. It was uh, just quite, quite interesting. And the people there, uh, one thing that was consistent was that they said it was unlike any energy that they'd felt before, but all very positive. A very different experience than what is out there. And so if someone's wanting to learn more and get connected with you and find out more healing, what can they do to to learn more and get connected. I'm going to let you share all the information with the audience. Well, certainly would suggest that we have tried. My son has put together the website because there was such a lack of knowledge. So as far as I know, the greatest compendium, if you will, of knowledge on Nomali is going to be under ancientalienstones.com. We are making some of the stones available from our museum exhibited collection. And our intention is to follow what occurs with them on camera and film it and to utilize that to produce a reality television program to demonstrate the, the results of when they're utilized by people of different modalities. We're essentially looking for those who would be excelling in their field, in their modality, in their newly emerging health uh, healing process or or uh, ancient healing process or scientific evaluation. We're open to all of these things because as far as we know, none of them have been done. So we're very interested in putting them into the hands of those who, as we would say, activate the stones and are activated by the energy within the stones, such as I mentioned Jeff the Shaman. And um, so, but again, I don't know that I would not I would not deny that some people could pick up energy just from looking at them. Some have told me they look at them on their website and they pick up energy, so I'd encourage them to do that. Some might be able to get a positive vibe from even the replicas, the, the fakes. I mean, there's, I, I'm not anyone to limit anyone's ability to get blessed any way they can. So there, but you have definitely uh, seen and heard a lot about this. Your expertise in this area is just growing and growing. You're finding more. And now you're going to take this on location to really follow this and document what is going on with a number of the different pieces. So the audience can, do you want them to email you or if, how would you like them to connect with you if they? Email is fine. Ben at ancientalienstones.com. But I'm also an old-fashioned telephone guy, so and the phone number's on the website. Perfect. I want to just thank you so much for sharing this information with the audience because this is something unlike anything I think anybody's heard. I don't, I didn't know of it, and unless, I mean, even people like you said that are following a lot of the things that are out there, this is really something that hasn't been really widely known or discovered. And you've got something that is very um, important to follow and see what comes of this in, in more. This is just, I, I'm just really amazed at what is going on with this. And so I've got to share with the audience again what your website is, ancientalienstones.com. Definitely, if you think that you would benefit by being a contender with one of the stones and would be able to be on a reality show with all of this being followed from step by step with what's happening on this, uh, you'll have an opportunity to do so and do so by contacting Ben at Ancient Aliens, Alien Stones. Com. And I want to thank you so much, Ben. Is there any other social media that you are on right now that they can connect with you and follow you that way as well? 
Well, I would just say thank you for having me on the show and the Stones. And it's exciting that your all your viewers and listeners will get their first contact with the Nomali. And uh, it's amazing to me. I don't know how it is that they are so unknown. And I'm not sure exactly how I ended up being the spokesman, although I remember many years ago, Bill said that the chiefs had decided and the medicine men and women had decided that I was one of them. And I kind of shrugged it off. I thought that sounded okay. But now that you see the stones coming through this direction, you start to wonder, did they see something? Maybe I didn't. And I'm grateful to, for you being receptive because your openness and your uh, obviously all the work you've done made you right for the stones to pick and then to pass the word on to so many people who can use the, the healing energy. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Ben. And again, this is Nomali Ben. He knows what he's doing here. He's been uh, selected for this and you can be too. Well, we're going to see how this goes and definitely be following what's going on. So thank you for tuning in. And as you know, my mission is always to help make your life better, more inspired. And I think there's some things that you can get from this. It definitely has been educational. And I'd like you to follow not only Ben, but this show, because this is going to be tracking a lot of what's going on with Ben in the Ancient Alien Stones and more. So I appreciate your attention today. As always, I do. Please share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, the people that you know and the people that you don't. Thanks for tuning in to Rebecca Song Reveille. Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. I am really jazzed about the show that I have got for you today because with me is a guest who has an experience that changed his life. And that experience has changed many other people's lives. And in fact, he's gone on to become a radio show host, a writer, and he's taught a lot of people. His background experience is something I'm gonna let him share with you. But let's just say sometimes in life we see ourselves one way and that way can change the way we do things in the future. In fact, so much so that his story is going to be something that may make you think about your own. And he's going to tell it to you in his own words. He's radio show host right now. His show is called That Anger Management Crap. He's broadcasting on Big Heads Media. He's also a writer, and there's more to that, and he's going to tell it to you now. Welcome to the show, Matthew Plotner. Ed, thank you for having me. I really enjoy it. I'm excited, and I really want to just welcome you to the show because I think that the story that you have is something that's going to really broaden a lot of people's lives in a scope that they had that was very narrow. Can you start with what made your journey what it is now? Short story is 24 hours in jail for domestic violence, aggravated assault. Totally revolutionized the way I look at myself. My wife and I had been married at the time for about four years when all hell broke loose is all I can say. We had an evening where we just, that we both had decided that was the end and it kind of spiraled into me going to jail that night. And I got out, went to court. They said, hey, you have an anger management problem. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have any problem. I have a stupid people problem, but I don't have an anger management problem. Uh -huh. So I went to a class, 12 weeks was all I was actually required to go. Three years later, I'm still sitting in the class with the same teacher. He's looking at me going, you're teaching the classes. Why don't you get certified? 
open your own class, start doing these classes for yourself and actually make money for it instead of just working for me. So that's what I did. I opened my own and I taught for the state of Georgia for all told about 10 years. I taught domestic violence classes for the state of Georgia. That's a long time. It, yeah, it, I finally had to quit after it was, it was obsessing my life. I was not spending time with my kids. We had, we have three kids now and I was working my regular 40 hour job plus doing that at least five nights a week. So one day my, my oldest daughter comes up to me and she goes, daddy, why aren't you ever home anymore? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's time to scale back and stop teaching for the state and maybe start doing it for myself where I can set my own hours on my own schedule and do it kind of for me. I think that that's so important that we always look at the healthiness of our own situation so that we can help other people. And sometimes we forget about what they tell us on the airplane and that drop down mask of oxygen comes and we're supposed to put that on first before we go and help anybody else. And those of us who help other people, we don't think about all of that. We just go out and do. And you have a passion in this because you saw things one way and then you had an opportunity to see things a little bit different and it's really interesting sometimes we're forced into seeing a situation and that forced situation sometimes is the best thing that could have ever happened to us and initially we don't see it right oh yeah no it was it was crazy because i never thought of myself as angry violent controlling none of those things and it was about six weeks into the class, I was talking to the instructor and, and he looks at me after I say something, I remember what I said, I said something and he looks at me and goes, so how is that thought process working for you? Are you, are you happy? Are you enjoying your relationship, your time with your wife? I'm like, no, not really. It's, it's kind of miserable and it takes a lot of effort out of me to make her do what I think she's supposed to do. I'm like, Maybe you got a point. Maybe I am controlling in a way in a way and it still didn't want to admit that I had control issues but I was like okay maybe I am not giving her the space that she needs to be comfortable in our relationship as well well this is pretty neat because with that kind of light bulb moment you went on to then not only change your own life, but change other people's lives. And this is something that I just embrace so much because I think that's what it's about, helping other people. And one of the things that you did, like what I did, is looked at, okay, so I can make, I can make an impact here in my little realm, right? In this little circle. But I can also really impact a lot of people through writing and getting that information out there. And I can also do that through um, broadcast, it, whether it's, you know, through the, the medium of radio or uh, video, but one way or another, I can reach a lot of people this way versus just in a, in a small setting. But I also think that all the avenues put together really make a difference. And so I'm really excited about what you're doing. And so you've been with Big Heads Media for a little while now, and Mm -hmm. you're starting to see a big change. I am actually, yeah. I was just perusing my stats not long ago, and I realized that I've now been heard in over 50 countries. My biggest audience other than the U.S. is actually, oddly enough, Australia, which is weird to me. I'm still shocked that other people outside of my little circle of friends that tell me to just shut up when I start talking anger management and stuff want to hear what I have to say. It's, it's crazy to me, especially because I have no formal education in any of this. I, I don't have a degree in psychology, sociology, nothing. Everything I learn and have taught myself has been through a massive library of books that my wife has finally told me to slow down on. And I just, I absorb it all, read everything I can get my hands on. Well, there's a very famous people uh, who are self-educated. In fact, there's presidents who taught themselves law. And so I don't always say that, 
formal education is the is right you can become self-educated and also common sense is there too you I mean there's a lot of factors that come into learning right but i think the most or the biggest factor in learning is the willingness to learn and absorb and then to apply what you're learning and to be open to that because if you're not it doesn't matter what school you're in, whether it's the school of hard knocks or what, you'll just keep making the same mistakes over and over and you just won't get anywhere. So we have to be open to learning uh, from our own mistakes and from the things that other people share and then even reading up and doing our own stuff. The, the nice thing is with the internet now, as much as we don't want to, to say that we are learning every time we go to an internet page and we read through somebody's blog or um, even you read online books or whatever I mean, we're we're absorbing all of that and it is learning so mm -hmm. there is a, a bigger a bigger educational factor that way than we've ever had before so this is pretty neat and so you also have done some writing can you share with the audience a little bit about that I've, I've wrote a few blogs. None of them are active at the moment. I'm actually currently working on a, a actual book. Uh, tentative title of it is Take a Deep Breath and Count to Ten and Other Anger Management Crap. I love it. I, well, I used to hear all the time that when I would teach these classes, guys would come in and go, oh, I've, I've taken these classes before. I know how to count to ten. I know how to breathe. I know how to do all those things they taught me in other classes. Like, yeah, I'm not going to teach you any of that. I know you know how to breathe. I know you know how to count. I don't care that you know how to do those things. None of those things are going to help you now find a path out of destructive anger. So that's kind of where the, the name came from and how the title of the book came about because so many people are like, I don't need this crap. I don't need any of this. And I think everybody does. I think everybody is benefited from learning how to evaluate their emotions beyond just the the standard kind of happy, sad type thing. It's true. I think everybody does. It doesn't matter where we're at. Nobody's perfect. And emotions are there. There's so many personality tests. There's emotional tests um, that people take and find out where you're at. So you, they know what kind of job you have and this and that. But there's one thing that they don't teach in school. And that is, well, there's a few things. They don't teach you about your emotions. They don't teach you about communication. And they don't teach you about relationships. And those things are everything that's going to get you where you need in life with your interpersonal relationship as far as, um, you know, beginning to have a family or, or whatnot. And then business side. So those three things, I mean, they, they're, really the foundation to everything and yet they're not taught why yeah i think so, people are scared i think a lot of people are scared to to really dive deep into who they are and really evaluate the core of of their beliefs because to do that requires a lot of a lot of willingness to kind of look at yourself objectively and it's really hard to do it's really hard to look at yourself through a an outsider's lens and be okay with what you see and not, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. It's, it's really hard to, to look at yourself through the lens of, am I happy where I'm at now? No, that's true. That is true. And thinking about what I've said in the past, what I will say in the future, and think before you speak, um, Oftentimes we say things and we can't take those things back. And so kind of beginning to identify the self-talk that we have and um, just a lot of, like you said, interpersonal things and inside introspection is, is really important. You're really hitting on some things. And I think, let me ask you a question. In all of the classes that you've had, did were the majority of them male? I would say 80 to 85% of it was male. Okay. Because I, I'm just wondering how much on a ratio, you know, is, um, is this a gender 
kind of thing. And because women supposedly speak so many thousand words a day and men speak so many less um, a day. And so does that mean we get more emotions out and are able to, I, you know, I don't know what, what it is, but you're, because you're seeing this and you're seeing this from a male perspective, I'm wondering. I think it, it has a lot to do with how we're raised. I think men are raised to be stoic, to, to not be emotional, right? It's the playground. There's always that, that kid that gets hurt and he starts crying. And the first thing you hear out of the teachers or even other students is, man, uh, men don't cry. Men aren't emotional. Be a man. And women aren't taught that. Women are taught to be nurturing and caring. They're given baby dolls and, and play house. And they're taught to be loving and caring and the broad range of emotions to, to really access it. Whether or not that's good or bad, I don't know. I think there is a level of, of power in, in men being more stoic that we can sort of back, back away from our emotions when it's necessary. You don't want mm -hmm. the soldier that's fighting for your freedom to, to cry when he's entering the battlefield, right? You don't want that. But at the same time, when he comes home, he needs to be able to connect with his wife and his kids on a deeper, more emotional level. So it, it, I think a lot of it has to do with that. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty interesting um, that you um, see things from this perspective and a lot of men will not say that, but you've taught this and you've, you've had your own experience. And so when you're teaching this, do you find that the majority of those that come through the classes that you've taught feel or have the same kind of view, have the same kind of view that you did when you first kind of started the classes yourself? Oh yeah. Nobody that enters the class wants to be there. Nobody thinks they have a problem when they enter the class. I've had several year. I was working with uh, another instructor at the time. We had a guy come in who was adamant. He didn't have a problem. We, the first class is always tell us your story. Tell us what brought you here to see us today. And this guy flat out looked at me and said, I don't have a problem. I don't need to be here. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. You feel like you're okay, but there's obviously a reason you're here. Can you tell me why you come to the class? Uh -huh. Because I didn't come here. I was forced to come here. If you ask me again, I'm going to jump over this desk and kick your ass. I'm like, okay. okay, you obviously don't have an anger problem. You're right. Let's, let's move on. Uh -huh. and it's, it's, it's people like that. There's a lot of people like that that come that just, they're very adamant that I don't have an issue. And it usually takes, I hate to say it, about six to eight weeks okay. for people to go, hey, this works. This stuff is, is helping. I took one of your ideas home and tried it. And you're right. My wife or my girlfriend or my fiance or, or boyfriend or whatever responded pretty much how you said they would. And it's, it's, it's amazing the change that we had that night and how closely we were able to connect at that moment. Maybe you're onto something. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think the ratio is that your students continued on like you did? I mean, do the majority of them do their 12 weeks and that's it? Or do they continue on? I had, in 10 years of doing it, I had two people that actually went on to okay. do more than 12. I had one that came through and actually I certified him to teach the classes as well. So most people, they do their classes and they move on and... Hopefully they, they keep it up. I've never had, or at least at the time that I was teaching, I never had a repeat come through. Okay. So I, I take that as a, a, a crown on my end or a, a positive for myself. I would say absolutely. Yes. No, I mean, th that is really, I mean, to have a hundred percent rate of non-returns, that's, that is a really good number to have. I mean, that, that is really good. And then, further to even have two people continue on that, uh, that, that that's really good because oftentimes I mean you kind of feel like you're out there going solo but in going into this and really presenting emotion and then going on to teach it or to try and withdraw for somebody else not everybody um, will is into that or will go for that or want to to do that so this is really this is really refreshing and I'm really excited for you because I think you have so much 
to give and so much that you get from this also. Yeah, it's, I think I get more out of it than most people do because, because I do have the anger and the violence and the control problems. Having to constantly research it and read about it and educate myself on it, it helps keep me in check. Even my wife has said if, if I quit reading for a couple months or, or step back and kind of take it easy for a little bit, she's like, I can see the, I can see you change. I can see your emotions start to kind of change and that you, you need to keep this going. This is really healthy for you. And I, I agree because it, it forces me to constantly check myself. If I'm not checking myself, then I, I go off the rails, sadly. Well, no, I mean, it's easy to do. It's really easy to do, especially when we are kind of creatures of habit. We do certain things and we, I mean, it's easy to just kind of, um, it's it kind of like fitness, right? You can get into it for a while and then slowly just not, or I mean, just certain things we become a little bit more lazy about. And then as we do those things, unhealthy, more unhealthy behaviors become from that. So, or come mm-hmm. from that. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, like you, I've got to kind of keep pushing on even when I don't feel like it. And I get a lot from helping others just like you do. And some people go, gosh, I mean, you do a, a lot of those things and you don't get paid or you don't, and I'm like, this is not what it's about for me. And so I'm really excited about what you're doing. I know that the audience is excited about what, what you're doing because one of the things that we do on the show is make sure that the audience has either something inspirational that they can get from it or a resource. And right now you are both. So what I'd like to do is ensure that my audience becomes your audience. And so also their friends, family, colleagues, people they know, and those that they don't. So if you will give out your information so that they can start following you and share your message and get people who may need your encouragement, your wisdom, to get them moving in a healthy direction. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And I do. I'm flattered you say wisdom because I don't feel like there's a lot of it there, but. But there is. I'm, I'm flattered. I mean, you're being so humble about it, but you have wisdom because if you didn't, you couldn't be where you are now. And it, I think that this is a really important thing that you're doing. I think that this is the, the girl part of me. Nurture this so that we can help this grow. I think that this is really important. And with uh, the creation uh, that I've had, Victims Overcoming Traumatic Events, and the domestic violence program that I have, I really, really, really want to support this with what you're doing and share um, for those who really need to get in touch with you, to get in touch with you, because you are going to really continue to mentor and make change. And so please share with the audience how they can get in touch with you. I'm in the process of building a new site. So if you don't get on there, give me time. But the the website is www.angerpodcast.com. Or you can also find me at www.thatangermanagementcrap.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter. I'm on all of the podcast apps. There are. It's easy to find. Hopefully it's easy to find. If not, shoot me a a message on this has been so exciting thank you so much for being here with me and with the audience today and thank you for everything that you're doing oh thank you for having me i really appreciate it i'm so excited and i want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of rebecca sounds reveille this episode is so important because this is an area that we all need to think about and think about our, our emotions, get in check with, and all that anger management crap that we need to deal with. And you know who you need to go to for that, Matthew Plotner. And you can also listen to him on Big Heads Media, just like you can with this particular episode as well. And like him, we're everywhere. But we want you to make sure that you get his information everywhere because I think everybody needs it. So thank you for watching. 
share this with your friends, family, colleagues, those you know, and those you don't.